to another episode of the Just a Couple of Bagels podcast. It's been a long, long time. Very long time. It's been a few months. That's been a lot of time. And you're probably wondering where we've been, what we've been doing, how things are going. Yeah, it's been, yeah, say it's probably since July, since the last time. I think it was July. Yes. It was hot. It was hot the last time we did it, because I remember it was very hot in here where we were recording. Yes, it was. So, now it's cold. <laughs> cold, dark, and very wet. But yeah, I say um, I don't know. Like I feel like I haven't done a lot, but I've been busy at the same time. You know, just work, isn't it? Just right? work, yeah. Well, we had the nice period where things were lifted, COVID-wise, and things got to a sense of normality where people got into a rhythm and yeah, just fell back into things. And we were, I'd say, fairly busy with coaching. Yes, very. Yeah, I say I got pretty busy. Had loads of groups and especially over the weekend it was like non-stop so yeah and then my big change was i just completely up sticks left you left my, me i left the previous work oh you left yes you left yeah you left lloyd. i left i left david lloyd which was nice and which i'm now remembering it was nice and cozy inside yeah and now i and the outdoor clubs outdoor clubs at nutsford tennis club which is a lovely club yeah very nice club. Very enjoying it and very, very busy. Which is amazing. Before COVID hit, where we weren't allowed to do a lot of, we weren't allowed to do any tennis. But, yeah. But a bit like most people, I'm guessing your opinion of it was that it was completely unjustified stopping the whole of tennis. Yeah, because just, you know, stopping every sport, you know, it just seemed ridiculous unless you were an elite athlete, you couldn't play anything. So. And I'm pretty sure I, look, I think someone told me it could be completely wrong, so I wouldn't use this as gospel but I don't think they really had anyone from fitness gyms and sport contracting it no I think the guy like, like the social distancing in gyms and stuff is pretty spot on no I think they were all cleaning it and I've seen gyms where people were going around cleaning it after everything that they've been doing yeah so I don't know I think it was a wrong decision because I think they could have kept things I know because we had a point where the from the first lockdown, it went only to individual, yeah. So singles or an individual lesson. I thought that would have been quite reasonable. I think people would have still been able to do stuff, but they just sort of. I think they went into a point where they sort of felt right. People are asking for loads of exceptions, and if we keep giving people all these exceptions, yeah, nothing's really going to change. So they sort of went, no, no one's having anything. Yeah. Because it happened with golf as well. Like, you can play golf. <laughs> the most socially distanced sport. Like, you can't believe it. Like, you're just nowhere near each other. It's so easy. It's just a massive open field. And you know when you can just stay so far away from your playing partner. It'd be so easy. But still. But at the time of recording, we've got less than a week. And then things go back to a certain sense. So things yeah, on Tuesday. Upcoming Tuesday. So where are we going? I think we're in tier two. Yeah, we'll be in tier two, Cheshire. Which from my point of view and your point of view coaching outdoors it doesn't make a blind bit of difference no even do that I think you can try and stick to social gu- guidelines so as much as you want they kind of end up you know falling flat on their face anyway well I think that's the that's the main problem with the British public as well is they don't like being told what to do yeah it's a big problem I don't think anyone particular I'd say the majority of people I speak to now don't particularly care anymore just want to get on with things I think that's the annoying thing. We've had the whole thing of scariness and what have you, but 
it's like most things because it's so well publicized and it's just been rammed down your throat on the news you almost sort of get a little bit used to it and you don't feel that shock no yeah i think yeah we have come this decent like the, the daily figures coming through now it's just kind of like the same all the time you don't really it's just standard now you don't and they never really it. go into the figures of how they collect the data no um, it's like if they show like one symptom of covid before they died is that is that put down as a covid death yeah i don't know but we're straying a little bit from tennis just a little bit Let, let's get back on this is going to be sort of we'll split it into two parts we'll have sort of a nice little summary of the things that did happen because we did have quite a bit of tennis come on throughout the year yeah which I thought was very good um, and then we'll split into another segment which is mainly focused on British tennis and yay <laughs> a course that we've been on and where we can see it going what things might need to change and what we're quite happy with yeah 100% Right, so let's. Should we start at the start of the year where we didn't even know what COVID was? Yeah, what a lovely, blissful time. Yeah, well, that's lovely. lovely uh, so the first slam of the year was the Australian Open. Yes. Can you remember much of that? Because that feels like an age. Honestly, I don't think I remember any of it. I, mem- I remember it's where Caroline was, wasn't happy, retired. Mm. Very emotional. Um, the challenge of that, unless until I like looked it up, I couldn't remember who it was. Don't remember anything. I remember, I remember quite a bit of it. Djokovic was the male winner, and this was this I think sums up the women's game. Sophia Kennan, who's an American, <laughs> you've never heard of Sophia Kennan? Well, no, I mean I heard of her because she's won the Australian Open, but I mean, typical sort of American player, very vocal on court, quite a lot of attitude, very big hitting. Yeah. Um, one for the ladies. I remember. I remember the final because the final was a very good. Fi- was a good final. It was Dominic Team and Novak, obviously. Yeah. And it was very close. And I think this sort of set a little bit of a pattern. Yeah. Uh, with Djokovic, because if you think of it, I've always thought Djokovic is like stern. Yeah. Nothing's going to break him and what have you. But I've noticed this year he gets. A lot more agitated, a lot, a lot quicker. He's not as sort of this impenetrable wall as everyone thought. Which I don't know if it's age, if it's attitude, or if it's something else. Could be age. Could be. You can't. I don't think you can stay. You know. It must be quite frustrating from his point of view because he's said vocally that he wants to get all these records and what have you and when something like COVID stops everything yeah I think for everyone everyone's kind of attitude's changed no one's the same after all this so I think he's really affected mentally it's tough you can't like you know you got instead of I say Australian Open is different because there are the normal rules but like going into all the other slams you got what you got you one trainer because obviously and then you're in a bubble you didn't see anything because if you go on to the next slam Wimbledon just didn't happen no, obviously. Are you quite you disappointed that they didn't I rearrange it? I don't think it would be the same. Obviously you can't rearrange it to happen any later because obviously yeah. whatever gets worse. So for us it's impossible. And I guess like the whole point, like, the one with the nothing is built on the crowds. Yeah. Which a lot of sums are, but I mean French will accept the French Open. <laughs> <laughs> well they just go out for a lunch. We'll go, we'll go and have a coffee that will last two hours. Yes. 
So, but like London's all got the crowds, it's got this atmosphere about it, especially like going to it as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really right to cancel it. I think this next year will definitely happen in that world. What I, was, I thought was good, and people probably won't agree with me from the Wimbledon point of view and also the French Open point of view, is they both made their decisions very, very quickly. Yeah. Which I think is quite good in a sense that everyone knows what is happening and when it's going to happen. Yeah. So I think not leaving any sort of mystery or confusion I thought was very good. But as we'll come on to with British tennis, Wimbledon affects it quite a lot because a lot of revenue is generated from that one competition which helps fund all sorts of things the LTA want to try and do. Yeah. So then we had lockdown one where pretty much the whole world stopped. Look at that was the proper lockdown. And then this is where, and that's where all this was born. So one good thing did come out of lockdown. All this was born from it. Yeah, true. Uh, Then we came out of lockdown and we ended up with... Very different sort of coaching, I guess. It was very, very weird. I don't like, I think at the start I was very aware. and I was very stern about, you know, the social distancing and stuff. Like, it was just so hard, like, You'd see all the kids before with the lesson all running and, you know, pretty much like jumping on each other and whatnot. And you're like, right, okay. What I've noticed from working at two different clubs, especially, is I think there's just, depending on who's in charge, there's a different level of control with what people do. Because I know when I work at this new place, is every single child, whether it's a private lesson, if it's an adult kid, doesn't matter. Before and after the lesson, they have to sanitise their hands. Right, whether okay. if it's a kid, we're doing it. If it's not, we'll have sanitisers on each of the entrances to the course, so they've got to do it. Yeah. And now it's like a religious thing now. And then they're all spaced out with cones. Yeah. Whereas at other clubs, you'll see, where it's just like it's up to the player. Yeah to sanitise their hands. If not, then it's your fault for not doing it. Yeah. And I then there's still other things like the clubhouses aren't open. I think the thing is, you know, the clubhouses can be open. I don't think there's any reason why they can't be. I don't think... I think in the rules before this second lockdown is the clubhouses could open, but I think the logistics, I think the cleaning of them and yeah. what have you... Yeah, it's true. ...was a little bit faster. Most clubs just thought, nah. Yeah. Leave it as it is. Yeah. It is a bit annoying because obviously the clubhouse is quite handy. Especially if when it gets to winter you can do a few lessons inside. Yeah. They try we tried to have once professional tennis could come back, they had different tournaments come on, so we had the Battle of the Brits. Had the Battle of the Brits, which I thought was pretty entertaining actually. It maybe maybe the things that weren't actually to do with tennis were actually more entertaining. I liked the interaction of all the professional players, a bit of sledging going on here and there. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah. Uh, but I thought most of the tennis was actually quite fun. And I like a team environment in tennis. I think it always produces quite fun moments. Yeah, I think, yeah, 100%. It's, it's you know, them getting really involved in the competitive side of things. You know, they made it. They made it what it was. It was more interest. It was a, it was very interesting to watch. It was fun. And I don't think anyone had any outbreak of COVID at all there. No, or it was very well done. It was at the National Science Centre, mm-hmm. wasn't it? So it was proper. And then you had on the other end of the scale, you had Novak Djokovic's failed. Failed miserably. 
the idea was quite nice. It was just like we're going to get loads of great players in and work, but there yeah. was no sort of protocol whatsoever for players to stay away from COVID. There was fans there, very yeah clumped in, so it was easy to spread things around. Yeah, I don't think it was well thought out. To it it wasn't well thought out, unfortunately. So everyone was fine with it. So then we got back onto more of the traditional tour where we were on the hardcore season. Yeah. Where it was the US Open first, and we had, I think we had, we had Cincinnati. Everything, what the U, what the USTA did very well is they put what's usually in Cincinnati, uh, which is, I think it's the West and Southern Open is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, they put both of those two tournaments at New York. So you had, you were sort of almost a warm-up event and then yeah. you had the US Open, so we, you had no people sort of travelling about, which I thought was quite a nice idea. It was a good, yeah, it was a good idea. Um, Djokovic won that. And then for the US Open, Djokovic made the headlines again for another sort of... He's, he's had an up and down right. season, hasn't he? I looked at it, and I'm like, obviously you can't do it. But Did you watch no... it live? No. I watched it I watched it live, and it took me about two or three minutes to twig what had happened. Because watched it, it was sort of like, Djokovic had lost the first set, and then it come, and then all of a sudden the commentator goes, oh, line judge has fainted, because they hadn't seen it either. No. And then they start getting replays, and it is just... It's idiotic from his part. Yeah. I think he knows that. But there was no sort of... Menace. There was no, no menace in it. He wasn't aiming for anyone. I think he was no. unlucky. Just trying to, everyone's done it. Everyone's turned I think everyone's this is where we come back to the point as well, that he, he's a little bit more fragile mentally than he was in previous years. Yeah, that's true. I don't think this is a mental thing. I think he, everyone's done it. Everyone's, turned, everyone's lost a point or a, a, you know, a set game. They've had a ball in the hand and they just turn around and just kind of hit it into the fence. Mm. You know, I've done it. Everyone does it. And I think he's just unlucky he hit a judge. It feels very, very harsh. I wouldn't personally, have, if I was in my situation, I wouldn't have, you know, disqualified it. Because he was the standout favourite for that tournament. There was no Roger and there was no Rafa. Rafa decided not to do it. Yeah, he would have won it, I think. I don't, I don't think, the fi- I think the final was wasn't the great. I, I know it was a long final and there was a great comeback. But at the same time, I don't think it was in terms of quality. I think, you know, obviously, it's where it started off. It was blazing out mm. the blocks. And you stopped playing. And then, you know, the team came back and... team who, I, you could arguably say, has been the most consistent player this year. Yeah. Came back and won it pretty easily. But I think, in that, in that situation, Djokovic would have won. But I've been very impressed with Dominic team. I was I watched a lot of him in the tour finals, which we'll come on to later. Yeah. And his serving really impressed me. I, it got to the point in that tournament where I just thought, I think he's got one of the best second serves. And his first serve, even though it's not, I don't think it's one of the biggest serves, I think he just places it very, very well. And he gets so much kick on that second serve that it's, yeah, it's just great. a shoe in. Yeah, well, so you're as good as you second serve, don't they? Sure. Uh, so then the final slam of the year was the French, which... No, I didn't look, watch much of the French. I, w- I didn't watch as much as I thought I was going to watch. Yeah, it I was just... very stop-start, which I think was a weather problem. Imagine if they didn't, because the, this is the first year that they had their their roof, their roof over Court Philip Chatrier. Yeah. 
And imagine if they didn't have the roof. I'd, we'd still probably be here <laughs> and waiting to finish. Yeah, I don't... See, I don't know. I've never been... I love clay. It's my favourite one of mm-hmm. But watching the Brents, I never get inspired watching it. I always like the coverage of it. I think the people who cover it, especially on ITV, yeah, I think are very good in the way they cover it and the people that they get on. I think it's always very nice. I always like having sort of these traditional... British commentator, yeah. whether it's Sam Smith or Mark Petchy, and then you have like a Marion Bartley or Fabrice Santoro, who's the other one who's probably usually does it. And it's always that's always quite nice. Because um, this year there was a lot of complaints about one, the courts being very, very slow. Well, it was clay. And two, the court and two, the balls were new and apparently made it even, even slower. Yeah. It changed from Babalat to Wilson, which I thought was a little bit. It's a bit strange one. It's quite strange. But yeah, I think. I think Clay's slow. He's got. A, wouldn't matter what the service is. It's always the same for everyone. It's tennis. I mean, play it. You gotta play what's in front of you. It's not like the ball's just bouncing off on right angles. No. It's Clay. Clay's known to be slow. So it's just one of those. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer it if it was. Like, for me, playing, I'd prefer it if it was slower. So it depends. Like, if you're in a down, obviously, it's even greater. What was quite funny is that Nadal was one of the ones who's complaining about it and all this lot, and then yeah. he ends up yeah. absolutely rolling away with it. He's just too, he's just so good on clay. It's just ridiculous. This is the point. Cause, but did you you watch the final as well? Did you not? Well, I watched some of it. I say I didn't really what were your thoughts before the match? Were you thinking, oh, this is going to be quite close? No, when because it turned out to be pretty much a landslide. When I thought it was going to be close, and then. Feel always oh, as soon as Nadal's in the final of the French Open now, like, you know. You don't give it a second glance. No, I mean he obviously got beat, didn't he? Not in the French, but in the he got off. beat. It was the Rome Masters. He got beat. He and got the guy, beat. The guy beat him was just on the day. It was He's one of them. Incredible. It was um, Diego Schwartzman from yeah. Argentina. And he's everything. Who he, infuriates me as a player slightly. <laughs> because overall, there's nothing like wrong with him as a player, but everything about him tells me that. Someone like Nadal or anything like that should be able to beat him. And I think well, I think it's one of those days where everyone has them, and no matter what Nadal did, he, he just got got everything, got everything back with in interest. He's just so quick around the court; it was ridiculous. But it was one of those days. But what I find quite funny is is he's been on the tour for quite a while now. But this is like been the year where he sort of made, made a bit more of a name for himself. And apparently, the reason is he changed the size of his racket because he is. Okay. I think he's. To my knowledge, especially in the top fifty, he's the shortest player on court. I think he's about five foot six, five foot seven. Yeah, he's small. Which is quite a disadvantage. Yeah. He got a bigger racket, so he went from a twenty-seven inch racket up to a twenty-nine inch racket, which right. gives you that length to reach a ball, and you can get a little bit more swing on it because your swing's a lot longer. It's yeah. the equivalent of, I guess, using a driver in golf. It's just going to give you that little bit more length, a bit more power True. easily. Yeah. Um, which which baffles me because like why doesn't why don't more people use a size twenty nine inch racket? But I'm guessing the problem with it, and I heard one of the commentators say this when they were talking about it, is never give your child that if even if they're onto a full size racket, don't give them the twenty nine inch racket because they will injure themselves because it's a heavier racket. Y- yeah, that's a good point. Heavy, but I don't, I don't know. It's it's very long. I think it's must must affect timing. It, it, yeah, it must do. I mean, get, 
play, you probably wouldn't have seen it just because, as you say, it's a slower game. Yeah. I don't think it'd be that bad. But yeah, it was. I thought it was quite a nice tournament overall. I thought they handled. I said both the American and the French federations. I thought both handled it brilliantly. Yeah, they did there well, weren't shots. many cases. I don't think. With Dimitrov. That was one. was one that stands out. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, and then the final part of this year was the ATP Tour Finals. Did you watch any of it? Again, bits, bits and pieces of it. I was pretty busy, so I didn't really catch much. But yeah, is it? You still have a, few, a couple more years left in London, isn't there? That was the last one. So the last one. I that thought it was twenty twenty three. No, that's last it. Sad. One. It's moving to Turin in Italy next. Ah, sad, isn't it? I don't. Because obviously on our channel there's a video that that's on there about the ATP Tour Finals and how it's a very mobile tournament. Yeah. But it seems to be quite a common thing if something's not broke, then yeah. people people are trying to fix it. Yeah, it shouldn't be. I think everyone enjoyed it in London. It was a nice sort of showpiece event. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you know a lot of people. You get quite a lot of people in there. It could be very good and. Being in Italy is a very sort of picturesque place to have it. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. So, be, and there's quite a lot of Italian players coming through as well, so that'll help. Would it be played on clay? I don't think it. I think it'll be on hard court because it'll be an indoor thing. Yeah. Because it's still going to be in the same time, and the difference between Italy and yeah here it won't be that much. Yeah, it turns weather. Yeah. So yeah. I thought it was quite. Um, overall, I re- I enjoyed it. Um, I thought both groups were quite even. I thought you had there weren't really many where you thought oh, it's not a brilliant match. Um, there was the one match that stands out, which was Team versus Rafa, where I think both of both of them didn't play a bad game, no. and both of them could have won it. And it was just who could get that one or two more points, and it was proper hard hitting. And that was sort of the point where I thought Team could win this, and he got to the final, but person that won which went a little bit under the radar with me because um, Daniel Medvedev who ended up winning it was in Djokovic's group Yeah, and Medvedev didn't drop a match he won all three of his matches and then he went on to the semis against Rafa and if you're thinking from a Rafa point of view would I rather have played Medvedev or Djokovic I'd rather have played Medvedev yeah 100% so you think uh, but he's the first person in the finals history to beat the number one, the number two, and the number three seed. That's pretty impressive. So he beat Djokovic, Rafa, and team in one tournament, which is that's yeah, that's a good going. Pretty that's, amazing. That's a very tough fight. Yeah, that's very hard going. But yeah, so overall, it was a very strong end to the season. And Rafa still hasn't got one. Still hasn't got one. Which it's I incredible. I don't. It can't be mental from his point of view. No. Now I think it's just luck of the draw. I think on those two occasions, the two matches he lost, one was team where team, as you said, just had one of those days. Yeah. Where he matched Rafa and everything, and then Medvedev again, beating Djokovic, hadn't lost a match. Yeah. And he's just done one of them. I just think it's an unlucky tournament for him. Well, maybe. Because he didn't play bad. 
all of his matches I don't think he played poorly he probably will have a different opinion yeah um, but I don't think it was bad at all maybe you should have a word with the Italian Federation and get them to make it a clay court final <laughs> clay courts indoors but could have a different colour like blue clay they have blue clay didn't they I was scandal over that I like blue clay they were not they I were saw when I was um, looking through a few old videos is Madrid Open I found clips from the Madrid Open I think yeah. it was of I think it was of Thomas Burdick um, when they had the blue clay and it looked brilliant. Yeah, it was like brilliant. a bright, bright blue. Yeah, but the I yeah, loved it. It's been banned. Well, I don't know if it's been banned, but the players didn't like it. <sighs> Shame. Looks so nice. They sent millions and millions of euros getting for blue clay because you have to make you can't you have to put the dye in it. Ah. And yeah, I don't I can't remember exactly what they said. But I think they said it was stuffier than normal clay. It's normal clay stuffy anyway, but I think. It didn't. It didn't work. It, it wasn't. It didn't have the same grip on it at, at no. all. Bunch of prima donnas. I would yeah. have played on it. Yeah, so I'd, I'd quite like to have a go on it, but not 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 today. Well, from that end where we had sort of it wasn't the tradition of the big three of Roger, Rafa, and yeah. Novak winning things. We can sort of look forward to next year. Maybe we can have a few people who might upset the apple cart because we keep talking about when are these next players going to yeah break through break through and sort of start winning all the slams and yeah. not the usual three suspects but there are, there are quite a few would you like to start with the men or the women or do you always do one and then swap to the other because there's quite a few from both yeah I think the only, the only issue, like what we're saying is obviously better than it used to be but like there's never been except for Serena the amount of times it fluctuates anyway. Well, I, I've had this point when um, after the French, there was a new winner at the French called Igor Sviatek. Yeah. 19 years old, didn't drop a set. I think the closest someone pushed her in a set was, I think it was 7-5, and that was in the final. Yeah. And I raised a point with him. Is that because there's such brilliant depth and quality in the women's game? Yeah. Or is the top part of the women's game just very inconsistent? And unfortunately, he, he gave me an ar- argument for both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think it is a little bit of both, because I think there are some very good up-and-coming young players, Sviatek being one. Uh, you've got Coco Goff, another. Yeah, she's, she's exciting. But, um, I'm going to try and say her name, Bianca Andres- Andresco. Andresco. I watched her play. And she's quite exciting to watch, I think. I think she could, because she's Canadian, I think. Well, unfortunately, she was injured for a bit of the season. Yeah. As I think last year I watched her play in, I can't remember the cup. It was before the US Open. Mm-hmm. And it was actually it was against Eugenie, who's not funny enough, another Canadian who was a letdown. <laughs> um, and I mean, she just wiped, wiped the floor of her. And I think, you know, it was quite a quite good entertaining match to watch. Because she's a former US Open champion. Andrescu. Yeah. She won last year, if memory serves me correctly. Um, so there are these young female players who were showing a level of consistency for a big tournament and then it's sort of going off again and coming back. And yeah. that might be because there's a load of them and so one just outdoes the other. And because the young consistency is quite hard to get, you look in any sport with a young player, the hardest thing to get is consistency. Yeah. 
Um, but there's a lot of pe- people. Uh, Sophia Kinnan, who we talked about, who won the Australian Open yeah. this year, is another one who I think could there's a lot go of pot- quite Yeah, there's a lot of potential for people, especially the women, on the women's side, to come through. But it's hard to predict, I think. It's not. My little left field shout is a Greek player called uh, Maria Sakari. Yeah. Who is coached, and it's quite a very interesting story, uh, by an English guy called Tom Hill. Okay. And the way he got into coaching, didn't have any like coaching budget, he was doing college tennis in America, uh, and ends up hitting with a pro female player, just hitting. And yeah. then the pro player going up and going, oh, quite like you. do you want to be my coach for a bit? And that's how it happened. It was wasn't going down a route of just getting levels and stuff. It's yeah. Someone simply, oh, I quite like working with this person. I'm going to work with them more. Right place, right time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's quite an interesting. She's, I think she did, I think she got to the, was either the quarters or the semis of the French this year. Yeah. So I think there could be quite something in her. And then you could see on the men's side of Greek tennis. Sipsipas. Sipsipas. Which... I think there is a there's definitely a dispute of how to say his name. Like most people on this list, this is one thing we were talking about before we started recording. They don't half have some hard names to pronounce. Yeah, very much. <laughs> I had to look at it twice at how to spell it. Yeah, it is, I think it's Tissipas, but I don't I mean, do, you, do you pronounce the T or do you not pronounce the T? I don't know. Then commentators don't help me. No, they don't because they both say different things. Yeah, so. Um, but he's one that I really like. He comes off the bandwagon of uh, players Patrick Moradoglu who Serena Williams' coaches yeah. had his fingers in many fingers in many pies as the phrase goes because he's got Sipsy Pass I know um, Andrescu's been training there as well Coco Goff is another one his first one was uh, Marcus Bogdatis that's a big name from the past for people listening um, and he's been very consistent so far this year he's sort of been there or thereabouts yeah uh, but I think it's just that little bit extra going through it uh, so. the other one that we mentioned was um, Daniel Medvedev who has been to a final of a Grand Slam he was at the final of the US Open from last year where he lost to Rafa in five sets he's obviously won the tour finals this year yeah I think he's won a few other tournaments this year so I think he's ranked number four now. It's either four or five. Yes, definitely. So transitions we get. He would probably be my pick from outside to win a slam. Whether it's I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be the French because that's not his game. He's a very tall. Yeah. Quite a good mover though on court, which I'm quite pleased about. <laughs> um, so I think he'll be more used to being in the Australian Open. Yeah, possibly the US. Yeah, one of those two. But then the two little ones that I thought which could be a little bit more build up their profile is two players. One is Norwegian, that's Casper Rudd, uh, and an Italian called Yannick Sinner. Sinner is a very good mover. I watched a few of his matches, and then I watched a few sort of highlight reels of him. And the thing that I'd say about him is there isn't a difference between his forehand and his backhand. Yeah. which you could take as a positive because they both don't look one better than the other they both look equal right. which shows him quite comfortable and he's very very fast on court Yeah, he's just a very agile player which works very well so he's very solid at the back 
I haven't seen enough of him serving to comment that he's a big server. He's a tall guy, so his serve is probably... You'd assume that it's going to be pretty yeah. good if he's tall. And then the other one, which I'm sort of basing on the fact that I've seen him pop up quite a few times <laughs> and wondered who he was, yeah. so I had a look in, uh, is the Norwegian Casper Rudd, who saw at the latter end of this year, and I looked into him, and he's at uh, Rafa's Academy. Okay. So having a bit of guidance from that part. Yeah. I think we'll stand him in good stead. Same again, very good mover. Um, very good on a clay court, as you can imagine, being at Rafa's Academy. He's got... He likes that sort of inside-out forehand where he rips it and goes over the top with top spin. Yeah, yeah. That was the one thing I noticed about him, so I think that's always quite good. I think it'll be quite fun to watch. But unfortunately, this is where we're going to move on to the next topic. That, there's that, that we haven't mentioned anyone who is British in this. Yeah. And it was in the French Open because, unfortunately, the Brits had a bit of a disastrous showing. Just a little bit. Just a tiny Fine, they had an absolute calamity because I don't think anyone made it outside of the third round. No. From the singles point. And I think from the women's point, all the women were not top in the first. Yes. Which is a disaster. Because unfortunately you've got Mr Murray who is he has said that he is feeling fit for next year. Murray's not gonna win another slam in I don't think he'll win a slam, but he'll he'll push to go past the third round in slams. Hopefully. We can only hope. But it's not not Just the thing you're you're right we're pinning our hopes on Andy Murray who is thirty three years old and you you'll argue that Rafa uh, and Novak are of a similar age. Yeah. But he literally has a metal hip. Yeah. And he is, other than one of the Bryan brothers I can think of, is the only tennis player to still be playing and have this metal hip. Yeah, and the Bryan brothers are double players. Mm. So it's less running about, it's not as strenuous on the body. But it is, it's come to the point where we're looking around and thinking... Who's next? No. And they say that Heather Watson has really brought it to light. She had a. Um, it transpired. I think it was. I think it was after. I think it was after she lost. She had a press conference, and a commentator asked her, oh, "What young, what younger players, do you think are doing well? Who do you think is going to come up?" And I think there are, there are a few, but no, no one who's doing like what Yannick Sinner does, who's no. won the next gen finals. Yeah. And, is making quite a good name for himself on tour. Yeah. You've got people like Roger and Rafa who are talking about him. There's no one like that. And Heather's, to quote her, said, "What younger players? I don't have. I don't have anyone to talk about for me as far as, as far as, uh, as far as like the next generation goes. Joe is 29. I'm 28. Dan Evans is 30. Cameron Norrie is on the younger side, but he's not like of the 20s. 30s. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, she doesn't see anyone. No. But there, like, obviously Katie Boltner. This side. is the thing, do you reckon we've got, is it that point where the ones that can come up are just a little bit too young? No, because I'd say Katie Boltner, I think she's 22. She's already 22, On the guy's side, there's literally no one who screams out to me. Mm. On the men's side, at all. And when we said again, you've got the likes of Katie Swan and Jodie Burgess. Jodie Burgess. Harriet Dart as well. Harriet Dart's 
potentially she played really well in the um, Fed, Fed Cup. But like, she's slightly older again. Jodie, but I think Jodie's around 19, Kate Swan's 20s. So again, like, players already broken out. A lot of players already broke out by the time they hit 20. And I know she's sort of like a unique situation, but we don't have a Coco Golf. No, I think it's, yeah, it's just very much a... That's a very unique... But you don't have anyone of that sort of 17, 18 no. age where you think they're winning matches on tour. They might not be winning titles, yeah, but they're being noticed, and we don't have anyone that's being noticed. And it's almost cropped up. You've got, as Heather was quoted saying, Joe Conter's 29, Heather's 28, Dan Evans is 30. Yeah. Kyle Edmund now is... 20, I think he's 25... 26, let me fact fact check that. Uh, But it's... It has almost just... He's 25. Which is... The time where you almost want to be... Sort of consolidated in like the top 20. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Which I don't think he's... I think the problem that Kyle's had, he has had a few injuries. Yeah. And obviously he had a very good run, I think it was the Australian Open, I think it was last year, where he made it to the quarters or the semis, yeah, and he had a good run. Um, and injuries have sort of derailed him a little bit, but it's... But yeah, it's unfortunate that there is literally no one coming through, but you know, it's just down to the way we promote our, our youth talent around her. Because unfortunately tennis is an expensive sport when you add it all together. Yeah, it's very expensive, yeah equipment I was I heard I was listening to a podcast the other day and the guy was talking about trying to get his daughter into tennis yeah and was quoted 50 pounds for a private lesson up here up here up here oh where's that dude it was around Manchester area and I thought 50 pounds must be a very good coach I said it must be very, it must be a very good coach yeah but like starting you, off I mean, that's, that's ridiculous you know no beginner needs 50 a 50 pound lesson no you know. It's why, yes, as you know, it's pretty good linking to what the LTA are trying to do, the new the new LTA youth scheme. Yeah, um, I know m- most people will they do this with any governing body is they'll talk about all the bad things that they've done and say, oh, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Yeah. But we both recently done this course, and the LTA are trying to sort of revamp the whole of mini tennis, mini tennis, children's tennis people under the age of 18 so they've rebranded it from mini tennis to tennis to LTA, LTA youth to try and get more people involved it, what's I quite like it and we'll talk about the course um, I just like the fact that they gave you a set of principles for each stage rather than saying oh, we want you to coach in this way yeah not changing the way that you coach but just adding a principle for each you know, like say because of the younger you're not making it very technical you're talking about almost making an athlete more than you are a tennis player. Yeah. Because there's the age old question, can you make an athlete a tennis player or can you make a tennis player an athlete? Yeah. So it's very philosophical. It's question. very philosophical. Could do a whole podcast <laughs> Ooh. answering that question. Uh, I still don't think we've been on the wise of which one to go with. No. I think it completely depends on the way the person's been experienced. Yeah. But yeah, like, so, you know, from the course, you know, the ideas are good. You know, I think a lot of coaches are just going to take bits of it and I think that I think that's really what they want though they're yeah. not like trying to reinvent the wheel which I know a lot of coaches were 
scared about before yeah. of course thinking oh here we go again they're going to give us the magic formula of how to turn all these players yeah. into the only issue I had with it which I just found hilarious is when they sh- do their demo videos they get some of the best kids I've ever seen hit a ball before I'm alive they are showing the A to A star yeah student and like you're just there and like you think, well my kids I've probably got one kid who could just about you know do do it as well as they are but like it's you know I, I, they show kids feeding balls to coaches and like what I don't think so no. not at the age of five you know, can't they're, they're more they're more interested in what's the contents of their notes yeah than what's the thing that's I think the RTA have noticed is unfortunately a lot they've, they've realised that Kids are obviously very now addicted to gaming. They like yeah. iPads and stuff, so they don't have fundamentals anymore. No, you can't catch, you can't throw, and I've always said you can't catch. If you can't catch, you can't throw. You can't play tennis. No, it's hand coordination. Because tennis, at the end of the day, it's a receiving game. Yeah. So if you cannot throw a ball to somebody and yeah. expect them to throw it back, and you catch it, yeah, you're not showing any receiving skills whatsoever. And no. I've talked about this with other coaches say we are literally teaching children how to be capable yeah of doing physical activity yeah it's not about teaching them how to hit a forehand with a bit of topspin and the same thing on the backhand yeah we're literally teaching them how to function properly in yeah. the outside world and I mean, be so practical just, and obviously it comes down to what what PE teachers doing in school I think I'd well the, I'll slightly defend PE teachers in the fact that they'll have the maximum twice a week. Yeah, that's true. Just again, that's and you'll know for anything that if they're just doing it twice a week, there's going to be about 30 of the minimum. Yeah. If we're talking about high school. And they'll just be lost and they'll probably end up mucking about anyway and they won't do it properly anyway. No. Because unfortunately the PE teacher will probably be good at some sports. Yeah. But tennis isn't usually one of them. No, very rarely. Very rarely. And I know they are trying to encourage um, teachers to take a course yeah. where they can learn what the LTA want them to learn so they can deliver tennis. And I know they get like a little incentive. They get like £250 yeah. worth of vouchers, which they can either spend on a coach or they can get some equipment, which is yeah. quite nice. Yeah. And again, it also comes down to parents not teaching their kids how to. I think every parent should teach their kids basic fundamentals of sport well it's just been active but then unfortunately if you've got parents who aren't very active yeah you don't get it you won't get it a lot I think it's quite hard as well especially if you're an only child as well if you're just stuck on your tod at home and mum and dad are working or one's working from home the other one's out in the office or wherever you're not exposed to that where I I know I was definitely quite lucky because I lived I had brother and a sister who both played tennis. Yeah. I had loads of mates around who did sports and stuff near where I live, so you were you weren't yeah. shut inside. Yeah. But then again we both come I think we were sort of almost the last generation of we go out, we play outside until the sun goes down and come back. Yeah. We got yeah, we probably just about got the catch before the end of that. Mm. Um but yeah, you there's a lack of ability now in kids. Any like natural ability. You very re- I, you get a, you get two or three where they go where they just 
click oh yeah click and pick everything up you're like oh this person's so nice to teach yeah I'm very fortunate I've got a few of them that are just like that they'll listen and they'll do something they're very yeah they know what to do and they find things a little bit easier to pick up because they're athletically and more in tuned yeah they're becoming more rare now I don't think it's the same competitive level to become better anymore from kids no like I was competitive as a child to become better but I don't think it's instilled from the schools are now about you know it's taking part of the counts which takes away the competitive edge of a child so they don't care as much because at the end of the day I know this kids are naturally competitive they want to win they like yeah. to win and I think what they've done very well with the LTA is I know that they've changed the name of the competition but what used to be called the team challenges yeah. I think is an excellent way for kids to get into yeah. playing competitive tennis because it's coming back it's that team element so even if you say lose all your matches but your team ends up winning it yeah it makes it a little bit sweeter true the have fun events too. I've done a couple and they are you know they do encourage kids to play and it's not as stressful as normal LTA tournament where you are, you are on your own yeah it's a scary environment out there it's kind of got a you turn up to an event and it's you against all these kids you've never seen before and it's quite intimidating it's one thing you just have to learn unfortunately kids have to learn to lose yeah but then it's the way you put that spin on it because it's almost seen now as we see it in everything now across media and all this it's this sort of they call it cancel culture yeah where if you do one thing wrong you will never be seen again yeah I think kids it's now filtering down to kids now when they're learning if they get something wrong it's the end of the world yeah you cannot fail at anything. You have to succeed at everything. Yeah. And it's not true. No, it's not. A, it's not a good thing for kids to learn. You know, you got to learn from your losses and move forward. You know, look back on your losses and think, why did I go wrong in that match? And make sure you don't do it well, again. Well, it's like anything in life. It's like yeah. people, loads of people who are driving on the road. I guarantee, probably eighty percent of them either failed their practical or their theory at one point. I right. didn't. Neither did I. <laughs> so we're in that twenty percent. But like anything, loads of things that people have failed at. Definitely with being coach as well. Like you do, you do a drill and coaching, and it goes awful. Oh, it's terrible. You think, why? Why did I try this? And then you you never do it again, but but you've learned from it. You know how to do it better. So you know it's one of those. Everyone's having bad coaching sessions, or you just use bad ratio end because it's gone so drastically wrong. I've, we'll go a little bit off topic. Can you remember what your worst lesson was? Worst lesson? Like, it, even if it's from your point of view or what happened with a kid or anything? I don't think it's with kids, honestly. I don't think, like, I actually, I can get away with having bad lessons with kids because they, they don't know us as much. It's with the adult groups that have, you know, have more difficulty with because obviously when it goes wrong, they know that it's gone wrong because they, they can sense it better than kids you know I've done drills where I've probably thought the adults were better than we were and you know and they don't quite meet so the drill doesn't quite work yeah and you're there feeling and like you're there like oh my god this is going awfully wrong you know they're not, they're not hitting the ball like you, t- you showed them to mm. they're missing the ball 
you're not getting to the right place at the right time. You, you can kind of stand there like, oh, I, I need to stop this. When you've done those sessions, have you sort of, have you known what you're going to do in that lesson and you haven't? Yes. You, you've, you've got it in your right, we're going to do forehands today and that's it. Yeah, but I mean, I will change like, you know. But you know, you know what you're going to work on. Yeah. What I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. What I find quite good, especially with adults, and I don't, you can you can never do this with kids because they'll say something stupid. Yeah. Um, is ask them what they want to do. Ask them. Yeah, I always get. I, I do ask that, but some adults go whatever you recommend. You're like, oh, God. This that's the point where you need to sort of poke them. Yeah, yeah, poke. You're like, yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's like, like for private lessons, it's like I love it. Cause like. Yeah, okay, so what did you, like, last time you played? What, what didn't go what well? What didn't go well? Oh, I kept him missing the backhand. Backhand's it is. It's easy. It makes your life so much easier. Yeah, but like for group sessions, it's hard because you got you ask that, like, eight adults, what's your problem? Oh, yours is the serve, yours is the forehand, yours is the backhand, yours is the volley. You can't run, right? It's a great footwork session. Like, you know, it's just... It, yeah, that is hard, and especially... Because I started from where the new place of work, if I'm doing two sort of like express classes. Yeah. So they were six weeks, um, and they were two. I wouldn't say it was a big difference in standard, but one group was a lot more even, so they were all on like a similar playing field. Yeah. So that was quite nice. So they all could pretty much rally after a, right, okay, yeah. after a lesson they were all rallying quite comfortably and from the 6th they were playing some really good doubles which I was very impressed with Yeah. Uh, and they were all very keen for it the second group um, was a bit more sort of there was a bigger gap between who was the yeah. best and who wasn't quite there which was quite hard but you've almost just got to sort of micromanage it so if you're feeding to the person who isn't yeah you do a different kind of feed you do a different feel. It's like with kids. Yeah. You'll no doubt if get like two or three in the top end who find every drill that you're doing for everyone else. Yeah. Easy peasy. Oh yeah, 100%. It's, so yeah, it's, 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 it's managing it. I feel like with adults, they expect to be able to, they expect a lot of themselves. They expect to come down to a session and just be able to rally. And then, you know, you start, if I ever have a, the first, if I ever get out of group, the first thing I do I just put them into service boxes and just see, see what happens. I'll just stand, well, you know, I'll have a look for five, five minutes and just see if they won't work it out or not. I think it's high judgeability because sometimes the adults will they'll, they'll figure it out and go, oh, they'll figure out they're hitting the ball far too hard and they'll mess around with it. And they're the adults who you can tell they've played sport before because they're figuring it out. Other adults, on the other hand, will carry on hitting it the exact same pace and you just there like... It amazes spots. me how you can have a fully grown adult put a tennis racket in their hand and say, right, go on, try and have a rally. Yeah. How they can almost regress Yeah. and lose complete control of all their limbs. Yeah. I they get rigid and the, they don't understand what's happening. And it's... I think that's why, I think like, that's why it's hard to retain adults. It's easy to retain the ones who are already sporty because it's challenging uh, them. I think it's different from kids and adults. Kids... If they're enjoying it, which is what I quite like with LTA youth, how yeah. it's structured, it shows lots of high fives, it's yeah. all very sort of micro-task orientated. Yeah. Um, it's not like very technical until they get up to, I think it was mini orange yeah. off the board. Um, so they're not going to be put off from it. If it's fun, and this is what I've learned 
if it looks fun, the kids are having fun, the parent can see it's fun, the parent's going to pay again because the kids enjoy it. Yeah. That's the main thing. That's easy to retain the kids with that. If they're enjoying it and they're buying into it, it's easy. With adults, you've almost got to offer a bit more. So yeah. you offer the coaching, you think, oh, right, this is good coaching. But then they'll be like, they'll get to, they'll should get to a standard if they have enough coaching. Yeah. And if they're playing outside, they say, oh, right, I want to meet more people, I want to play a bit more. That's where you've got to offer them like social tennis, yeah. or a club night or something. And then if they're enjoying that even more and they're getting better, then maybe a team. Yeah. And work from there. It, it's hard to sell to adults because I think the adults expect a little bit more. Yeah, 100%. I think they, I think they enjoy the expectation that they're going to become great tennis players in on a six-week course, which is just so unrealistic. Yeah, I, I had um, you, I had a little week out with the head coach at where I'm working now, where we were sort of going through, and we both came to the conclusion that for a follow-up course, it's basically the same course, but maybe just pushed them a little bit more. Yeah. Because tennis, if you go and look at pro players practicing. It's repetition of very slight things, very basic things. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's what most adults think. Oh, I'm gonna get all this technical coaching. Think of it as sort of yeah. You know, it's practicing the basics over and over and over and over and over again. And that's why I think there's a big drop off in adults, very new adult beginners, because I don't think they have a lot of other patience to having to go through the basics to then progress onto the mm. more advanced stuff. You know, with juniors it's easy they've been doing it all their life so when they become an adult it's already embedded in them it's just one of those it's just difficult you know I think unfortunately when you get to the age of like maybe you know most adults who start tennis beginners tend to be like 40 plus and they've got a lot of work ahead of them because tennis is not like a sport where there's anything natural going on uh, I know it's not like coordination but you never you know you never serve in real life you can do anything no tennis is a sport that if broken down correctly it's a lot easier to understand yeah i guess like it's, i think it's, it's probably a little bit like learning a language you never go from lesson one like i'm gonna speak fluent french no. at the end of it you learn words then you might learn sense it's brilliant uh little thing that i watched uh at the start of this lockdown there is a series on Netflix uh, called, I think it's the Playbook, right, okay. where they talk, where it's different coaches from different sports. So there's a basketball one, there's a football one, and the tennis one is Patrick Maratoglu, and he can play piano. Yeah. And he said teaching tennis is like learning a piece of music on a piano. Yeah. You won't go straight through it because you'll end up mucking up. Yeah. You'll focus on one bit. Get yeah. that perfect, and then move on to the next bit until yeah. it all comes together. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So it's yeah. the same with tennis. I really like that. And that little analogy has stuck with me. Like yeah, that. no, it's a good. That's a good way of looking at things. To be fair, yeah, I do agree with that. Focus on little things, and then it's big things. Yeah. Well, that I think that was probably the best segue off we've ever had, where we've just gone off to a completely different. Yeah, I think we were too fair, were we? That was very good. We were talking. We were talking about the state of tennis, and we sort of went very negative, very hardly, talking about how there's no one we can see coming yeah. cracking the top fifty or top one hundred anytime soon. Uh, talked about the positive of it with the LTA youth, and I think the one thing we can take away from that is the fact that LTA youth sort of 
covers for the masses. Yes. So we'll get. So hopefully, if it works, we'll get loads more people playing tennis and staying in tennis. Yeah. But I think it's more the top end when you do recognise a very good player. Yeah. I think that's where it starts maybe to go a little bit wrong. That was, I thought. I don't think we were as harsh as I felt we were going to be. No, I think the LTA. I, I think the LTA youth movement come in and have been a little harsher. But it's given me some it's sort of hope. The LTA actually want to do something. It can. It can get better. We hope it gets better. It can't get any worse. <laughs> there it is. There we go. That, that was the. That was the bit I was waiting. Yeah. For. That was the bit. Yeah, sure, get another Tim Hammond. Uh, I wouldn't knock Tim Hammond. The one bit of credit I will give Tim Hammond is he maximised his playing potential. Yeah, his top four is obviously very, 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 very respectable. It's just the lack of... It's not Andy. It's the lack of Wimbledon. It's unfortunate. Or just a lack of a slam. Yeah. But it is what it is. Right, I think that's enough talking about tennis on a tennis podcast. Yeah. Let's collude too much. We have decided that for our anything but tennis topic, we are going to talk about school life. School. Yeah. No, that's, that's either going to be a very, very happy topic to talk about or one that's going to be... When we say school, where, where, where are we talking? We can talk about the whole of school, if you like. If we go from, let's say, start of primary school up till the end of eight level. Okay, we'll leave university out of it. Leave uni out of it, because only one of us did uni. Okay. The other one worked their backside. Like partied. Yes, basically. Um, do you want to talk about primary school first, or do you want to talk about secondary school first? So let's go from the beginning, primary school. In the beginning. I don't know. Like, can you, can you, this is the thing, with it being such, I would thought, a, such a crucial stage of our learning. Can you remember a lot of it? A bit, yeah, I mean... I can honestly remember, I can, uh, I can't remember much of the in-class experience up until year four. No, I can't. I can remember... I can remember from, a, very clearly from year four onwards. Year two is a bit of a blur. I remember the in-class experience. I remember learning stuff. Year three, I enjoyed year... I, I really enjoyed... I had to basically my school in year three and year four with the same teacher and year five and year six, same teacher. I think we had something slightly similar. I know I definitely stayed with one teacher for two years in a row, but I'm not. I don't think it was like a set thing. Yeah. The, the, the other thing with my schools, where it was from a slightly different. So basically, you, while you guys were getting ready for SATs, mm. we were getting ready for entrance entrance exams. Ah. So year five was probably the hardest year for me. And it was year five is the hardest year in our school mm. that I went to because year six is when you do your entrance exams. The whole year five. Is basically getting you ready. You see, I don't think I can't remember anything from my SATs. I remember sitting in a classroom doing one, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, so basically, yeah, what I did SATs, we did I did my entrance exams, and then I think you do your eleven pluses. Ah. So we didn't do SATs. Um. So when people say, "Oh, what do you? How are you, did you enjoy your SATs?" I'm like, didn't do it. Didn't do it. We had eleven pluses, which are ah. harder. I heard. <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um. So yeah, at the end, year five, really difficult year, just in terms of it, it was just very heavy on exam, mm-hmm. exams, getting you ready for the entrance exams, because they are weird days, I had one, ent- I had 
my Chilo Cube entrance exam was on my birthday. Ooh. Which is disgusting. That's horrible. Yeah, so I was doing like, all these exams, and it's a full day of exams. Officer should have marked them down. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, the way entrance exams work, you have standard maths and English exams. You then have verbal and non verbal reasoning. I don't know if you ever did that. No. So basically, in, in verbal reasoning, you get puzzles. So you get, you'll get a paper, you'll have puzzles on it, and you've got, you've got to work out oh. patterns. Did you have to see if you could cut paper straight? <laughs> no, really, honestly. Like, some the, don't remember because I, hate, I hated it. Like, you, get, you get patterns, and you've got to work out the patterns and then put it all together. And then non verbal reasoning. So that was verbal. No, so non verbal, that was non verbal reasoning mm. was patterns. Verbal reasoning was patterns with words. Ah. And you had to work out the words. So, you could argue that sort of seeing which way that you almost learn whether you like doing if you're some, verbal, or if you're verbal or but if you got tested in both you got marked in them as well and then I think to get an English language exam and then you had that comprehension as well so it was more literature oh. higher comprehensions but yeah and then that was a full day Ooh. and it wasn't wasn't fun but you know it was, that's what we that was my primary school that's what I really remember from primary school pretty much year five year six the main things that I remember, one might be residential trips. Yeah, the residential trips. They were brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you had it, we had end of primary school play. We did. Yeah, we had, we had our, we had the old time, we had it, it's called the old time musical. Oh. Was, was my last one at primary school. We basically, my, my primary school, what everyone looked forward to. So basically, once you hit year five, is when all the good trips happened. Hmm. So we had the South Coast trip. So you have five sets going on to South Coast and you get to like all these places for the week. So I think we should mention first of all that the primary school that you went to was probably a little bit better than mine. Yeah, it's probably. Where did you go? I went to Mopsham, St Andrew. See, that sounds very posh. It's not though. It's in a posh area, but it's not. It was a very, very small school uh, that didn't really have a lot of funding. Fair enough. Yes. And it, to be fair, the annoying thing about it is it got better when I left. They <laughs> somehow got loads of fun. They got loads of funding and they got made it bigger. That's gutting. Yeah, but yeah. So my prim- yeah. So I was quite lucky in my primary school. But yeah, we got yeah. South Coast trips were great. And then we had camp. We went to camp in the Lake District. And then in year six, we got the French trip. Oh. So you get the ferry over to Normandy. And we had lots of like the D-Day landing beaches and stuff like mm-hmm. that stuff. Very fun. To be fair, I don't think we went any more than an hour and a half away. Yeah. It felt longer, but then again, every long journey that's over an hour as a kid feels twice as long. Yeah, that's true. But I want to hear more about your play. So it was a musical, I gather. Yeah, but it was like, certainly it wasn't a musical, no, actually. There was dancing and stuff and there was music, but it wasn't a musical. It was really random, so it was basically based on, it wasn't, it wasn't a, I think our music teacher made it, basically. But it's it took everything from it's called the all time musical because it's all about olden days with Charlie Chaplin stuff in it, uh-huh. um you know, corny little like dancing numbers and magician magicians and it was like that and it was just put on this show and it was a bit random. Last oh. the year before they got Oliver Twist and we got this. So oh. it was a bit like they they have I think some of them where they get like a like a packet script of things so they get different parts and what have you. Yeah. SARS was, the way I can describe it, it was almost like a reflection. So it like, starts off with like four adults and they reflect right. on like their younger days and all these sorts of things. And 
It sounds very much like GCSE drama. It's, it was not great. Um, and my, do you know what? My part suited me down to a T. Because <laughs> I had to play sort of a middle class, nice. upper class, nice. posh father. That's cool. It was fun. And I think that one of my friends in it ended up doing drag in it as well. So they nice. played the wife. I thought that was hilarious. Brilliant. And the best, the best thing I remember about that is there's, um, there's a trophy that got donated to the school and it was for the best performance when I got it, so I was very chuffed. Sorry, isn't it? I was, not, I was very chuffed. A little star in the making. I know. What went wrong? No, nothing happened. Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, no, I'll tell you what it was. Is I ended up picking, because at GCSE, I don't know if you had it, where they encourage you to take a language. We had to take a language. You had to. We got encouraged to take a language. Yeah. And I felt that was the way of saying, right, you've got to take a language. So it came down to German or drama. And I took German. Got <laughs> it. Hilarious lessons though in German. You just ended up getting the German dictionary and look for the rudest words. The words, fair enough. Um, yeah, we had to take a language. Compulsory. Right, we've now drift, we've drifted into high school. Yeah, we have. So we both went to high schools that are pretty close. Very close. Just down the road from each other. But then again, very different. Yes. Just a little bit. Just a little. Just a little. So I went to an old, technically got you, it was an old boys school, which had a girl's site as well. Um, it was a public school. It was a private. They're called public schools. Very it's weird. No, it is weird. Is every other school that you see that's state funded is a state school. Yeah. And then what actually is a, what you think of as a private school is a public school. Yeah. I know. A private cool. school is like a boarding, like boarding school. That's I always put we always put private. We yeah. Know, yeah. I think most school. people put. But then I found that in sociology, it's not, and I was told a lie. <laughs> We call it private. I think public is very much a public, you know, boarding. It, it's boarding. All school. the riff raff. <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah, I went to stay away from the riff raff. So I went private. But yeah, my yeah. So yeah, I was on the boys' opposite, opposite in the boys' side. <laughs> um, trying to sneak in there. When the girls' side. Well, I mean, we knew the girls, and the, you know, we just it wasn't. We just never. We hardly ever saw them on in in school. Hmm. There's a few like crossover things, like some shows did together. And some like you know like with I don't know if you if you had them like you had like se- sex education days. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Reason, how many did you have? I think we had one in year seven, one in year eight. I think we probably might have one a year. Did you have any in primary school? Just regressing back to that. Not that I can remember. I had two. I think we had one in year five and one in year six. Not that I can remember. Very basic. But we used to, in year seven we used to have a PHSE lesson, which is physical sex health education lessons. Yeah, once. I think we we had them as well. We had them once per week. Did you have to learn how to yeah. attach things to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, for some reason, like, but once a year we have these like, big day, and for some reason they decided that was when we're going to cross the girls. I, I I don't know. That's when they were going to cross the girls and boys together. You know, when we talk about sex. But you see, we all we all because we weren't at my school. We weren't separated. It was like everyone. For yeah. Everyone. So we all did it together, so it was all the. You just learn everything. Yeah, so fair enough. I remember doing biology, we were learning about periods and stuff. Another guy, oh, oh, we were all there, like, why are we learning this? <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I'm probably guessing in this, if we did it in this day and age, then the female teacher would want to say, so you can understand what <laughs> suffering happens. Yeah, literally. But, yeah, I think it's fair. I, you know, you're, the, the high school you went to, it but it wasn't like a typical, you know, it wasn't you know, a stereotypical state school. 
very kind of very well built up, very kind of, I, I always called it the, the, the posh state school because yeah. it is so we'll, we'll, na- we'll name drop them both so you went to Kings in Macclesfield yeah. and I went to Fallabroom High School which then became Fallabroom Academy and yeah. it was very much that the higher end of the so the head teacher principal whatever you want to call it and yeah. then the vice principals and whatever you want to call them were very driven at uh, getting results yeah. and it was a very results based school so it's very dependent on what Ofsted put and they yeah. always aim to get outstanding in everything and all yeah. this sort of thing. Uh, always very interested in how results went with A-levels and GCSEs, they always pushed that, constantly tested to yeah. make sure where you are and you where you should be, and then funding wise it's very much because you get schools that are very sports based ours was very sort of performing arts arts really good performing arts facilities yeah very very good for a school ridiculously good oh oh, yeah I mean loads of primary schools and stuff I know I did my end of school performance at Fallabroom just because of how good the hall is yeah Uh, but then sports always did quite well it was always orienteering yeah. I was orienteering that Fallabroom was excellent at. Yeah, right. The one sport that probably, say, 40% of the population didn't even know existed. I know it existed, but I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know if it was a competitive thing. Like, I'd be terrible at it. I did it once for like a. It was an activity thing with my football team, and I was just like, oh, okay. I don't know what's happening. One, I'd probably get bored and end up just walking off. And it's not that exciting, it? No, it isn't. This is the thing. Yeah. It's not exciting. No. It is basically what would happen if a eco-mentalist got hold of Top Gear and they did the challenge and they had to, <laughs> and they had to go somewhere. Right, can't have the cars, you're going to walk around and find yeah. it. It's, yeah, it was never, I never got into it. But yeah, I'd say Kings are similar. Obviously, private schools, they're very resilient. Because they're both pinned, they're very close and even closer now. Very close now. Because... Two seconds away from each other. Because um, where you were is no longer a school. No, it's a building site. <laughs> it's going to be like flats and houses, houses and, stuff, and yeah. stuff. And they've moved it pretty much. As you say, it's a stone's throw. Yeah, away it's so good. It's, it's, it's going to be... It, it, I, I actually just found I never got that way anymore. But no, luckily, pretty much it was ready. Yeah. As soon as I changed jobs and I could go a different way to work. Yeah, that's all right. It then. fine by me. Yeah. I mean, I mean the new school... It looks incredible. It's it's a state of the art. Well, you're you're now getting what you pay the money for. Yeah, we 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 just we always say that that's what our funding went. That's what our you know tuition fees went to. Kings has quite a few. We had a few, quite a few sites. We had Cumberland Street, which mm. is the boys' site. Defence Avenue, which is the girls' site, yeah. and then we had Derby Fields, which is where the new school is. Yes. So we only had all this land. You had to buy more. I know you had to buy we had to more. Buy, we had to buy more, but it was right next to Darby Field, so I think it was an easy buy, because we always said, well, that's our land anyway. Mm-hmm. And Darby Field's massive. I don't even be on Darby Field to be on it. Oh, yeah, it is massive. massive. It's, a, it's where, we all, where all our sports matches were played. You know, yeah, there were cricket pitches, rugby pitches. Well, I remember playing on a cricket pitch, because when I did cricket, I remember playing on it quite a few times. Yeah. And then, you know, it gets hired out for football, football stuff. So, like, I mean, it's massive. Now it's even bigger with this new school which has a swimming pool in it and two full size hockey pitches, rugby pitches. It looks, and this is probably a very nice positive, but it looks like a university. 
It's based. In, I think it's based in American campus, and that's what they've gone for. Oh, that's that's the stuff I see. I can see it. I can see it. It's very much a, a campus. It's not a, a school as such. It's very much campus like. It looks cool. It looks amazing. But jealous. And then this is the point where we where our, our paths meet. Paths crossed. Sixth form. I left King. We were the we were the first into the because they had a new sixth form building. Yeah. And then we both ended up going there. I think I was glad that we both were in the first first ones there because I think it's probably. It's very trash now. I think it is trash now. I think I, I've been back in once. And it was. It was not the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's been ruined. How? What was your experience of six ones? I know people they either liked it or they didn't. I don't think there's an in between. I liked it. You liked it. I didn't get. I'm not a very special person, so I didn't really care. I just kind of got on with it. You know, I liked the new. I think for me, it was a, it was all a new experience. Mm. It was meeting new people. You know, it was a new kind of school. It was. I was kind of distracted by all that. You know, I probably wouldn't have done the subjects I did if we go back and change, change seven yeah. people. Probably change them. I probably would change one or two of them. Yeah, but. but yeah, I had fun. Wear a suit every day, like they are. Not growing up, I wear a suit to school. Yeah, it's different. You're top of the top of the ranks, and aren't you? When you're oh, yeah, yeah. well, different. you kept you kept away from half the school. I think that's the whole point of the sixth form. Oh yeah, I saw the old sixth form centre. It was awful. Oh, I I know a few people who are in that, and I felt very sorry for them. This is not a sixth form centre. It was just no. It's, it's it's literally just a room. Yeah, and very small room at that. Oh, so yeah, we're lucky that we got this new sixth form centre with our own cafe. Which year did you prefer? Because I know quite thirteen. Thirteen. See, I like the second year. Yeah, year thirteen. Yeah. Why? Why? Because I think I was, I was nearly done. Because <laughs> it is. I don't think people realise. I was. It was quite a big difference, especially from the subjects I chose going from the GCSEs to A levels. Yeah. It's like a difference of what was expected. Yeah. And it took me that sort of year twelve to sort of get used to it all, and then year thirteen I thought, right, I got this. And you can see it because I know the A level system's changed, but we had two one year courses. A S and A two. Yeah, and you can and I can see the difference between what I got in the second year compared to the first year. Yeah, you but you are more equipped, equipped and ready for year thirteen. Which you might well. suggest that makes a bit more preparation, I believe, for people in the future. But as a whole, the jump from GCSE to A level was ridiculous. Oh, it's massive. You've got the thing is the independence you get in year year twelve as well. Oh yeah, you, it, your relationship with teachers change. Yeah, it's different. I think it was different for me because obviously I had ev- all my teachers new because I went to new mm. school. I don't know what it was like for you guys who had the same teachers from GCSE. They were you were treat, literally treated like a child. Oh yeah. And then you get to A level and it's like the the treatment is completely different. Like you know, I, I felt a lot more independent. You know, the teachers. Yeah, you all, in, instead of the teacher sort of giving you everything, yeah, you've almost got to go to the teacher and say, right, teach me this. Yeah, yeah, 100%, it's so different. Which Maybe is quite hard, I'm guessing, for people who are very introverted and yeah. just sort of sit in class and watch. Yeah. It must, must have been quite hard. Yeah, it's different learning, isn't it? I think, because I did psychology as well, I was asked to do like psychology GCSE, so the teachers who did A-level, mm. who did psychology only ever did A-level. So you didn't, they didn't never have that sort of teaching at a young they age. They had that Fallibroom that wasn't, it's not an option. Yeah. Either psychology or sociology. So yeah. Because I did art A-level and art GCSE. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I did 
design GCSE Nova, and there was a difference. Yeah. Uh, with the design part, you expected to one go into more detail with things. Yeah. And produce pretty much twice, maybe three times as much work. Yeah. And then art art was hard to get my head round because in GCSE it's literally about quantity. Right. How much of this can you produce and all yeah. this sort of thing. But then I'm soon to A level when you're th- so used to the GCSE method of yeah. loads of loads of stuff you're producing. It's the quality. Yeah. So you almost spend the exact same amount of time but on fewer things. Yeah, that makes and sense. That took me a year to get my head around and yeah, yeah. start doing all that sort of thing. Plus I didn't like the fact that teachers always told me, Try this. So I try finger painting. No one I like doing this. But yeah. But it would look good if you did but no it won't look good because I do a terrible job and I can do a very good yeah, job like yeah. this. Yeah, everyone has specialities. It's the one thing annoyed me, that annoyed me most about art teachers when they try and branch you out and say, why don't you try collage? Yeah. Why don't you try just turning up a paint spray? Yeah, going the other way, yeah. Why you mind your own business? Now that you've experienced... Oh, you can ask me a million, you've got a question on you. Listen, now that you've experienced education life and work life... Oh, right, okay. You can ask me the million... You can ask me that question, you think you would. I don't know, you can answer that question. Which do you prefer out of school life and work life? We haven't talked about university, which is hard because I love university. Well, that's just because it was one big party. It was one big party. That's, that's the thing. It's not. You're paying nine grand a year to just have a party. <laughs> that's why we're not covering it. Um, I like work because you get money. But you, the social life is obviously different. You don't see your mates every day. It's harder. But like you know, getting paid. Go respond. <laughs> uh, I'll dispute you on the sort of mates thing. Because when I was working at David Lloyd, because there was about eleven coaches, and I'd say there's probably about four or five that I got on with really well. Yeah. It almost did become like a mate sort of thing. Yeah. So you'd see the same people and all that sort of thing. Um, but I'm. Annoyingly, in the tennis coaching world, even though it's a very socially interactive yeah. job, it's not social at all outside of work because you're working such stupid hours. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, obviously, like I try and keep Sundays off as much as I can because mm. then I can go and do stuff on Saturday night. So that's what I try and do. You know, you got to try and fit your hours around your social life as well. Support, and you got to do it. But again, I think I'm more of a party goer than you are. Oh. I like a party. I'm very much a workaholic. I like partying. <sighs> and I think that comes to the end of another podcast. Yeah. I just feel that one way because we're sort of getting back in the rhythm. This yeah, one. that was alright. Picked up. Yeah, I think which game to it is alright, isn't it? It's always weird at the start. I think we've just come to the conclusion that 2020 was a very, very funny year. And we hope that 2021. <laughs> It won't no be worse. a stop-start. won't be any worse. Oh, no worse. As, you, as you said about the state of British tennis, <laughs> it can only worse. get better. <laughs> can't get any worse. Anyway, yeah, oh, dear me. Well, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, and hopefully it won't be another four to six months. Until <laughs> yeah. the next one. It won't be. All right, see Goodbye. You